Hi everybody, welcome to Stratosphere Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Whittle, and it's another Technically Perfect launch here in uh, Technically Perfectville. I hope everybody's doing okay. Um, I'm having a tension problem here. You know, really, really, really tight. Just tight. tight almost like I'm tight, trying to... Uh, we will get to questions, obviously, uh, but um, I uh, I do have uh, something kind of fun to talk about, kind of the next uh, the next step in this giant uh, evolution. Uh, uh, I'm told in the comment section live by Eric Blake that the scar on my look, look looks pretty manly. Thank you. Uh, I had to rub some mud in it because it was pretty much going to disappear. Uh, how's the scar? Well, people are interested, so let's see. I put a little... Uh, a little color on there but it's it's not bad it's still a little thick but it's going to be um it's going to be great so <clears throat> that was a non-event i am trying trying to loosen up this voice here i've been carrying a lot of stress in my throat pretty much my whole life and for some reason it's getting uh, worse maybe i'm more stressful than i used to be in any event here we go so look here's the yeah no crater thank you very much uh lady hawk so um so here's the thing uh we have a, another uh, preview for you here. Um, we've been doing the animation bit by bit here uh, from the beginning. And then we had our first premiere of the entire animation. That was a couple weeks ago. Uh, here, something I learned from um, just since I started making movies when I was 16. Uh, you always get all kinds of notes and all kinds of critiques. And that comes with the territory. But what I learned, especially when I was an editor working in Hollywood with, you know, pr producers and stuff, every one of them would have something different to say. And if everybody had a different note, I didn't do any of them. Uh, and um, I figured I was right on the money. But but <clears throat> when everybody starts saying the same thing, then you need to look at that. And so um, especially, especially when you know they're right. That was the part that's hardest to take. I thought, you know, there's a strange thing about uh, show business and writing and stuff. Sometimes if you uh, got a problem, you know, the, one of the showbiz uh, uh, mottos is never let them see you sweat. Never tell anybody the mistakes you made. So I just kind of went out there and throw away the bottle cap. Okay, here we go. Um, and so I put it out there and I thought, oh, you know, it's not bad. And then we kept getting the same notes all the time, which really, really, really pissed me off because I felt the same way, and I and I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't get to sneak it past. So, um, so we did some reshoots. So here's the thing: the uh, the problem that I was hearing consistently, and I agree with, was that uh, the very end of the animation when they arrived there, and it says Democratic Party headquarters, two on the nose. I agree. Um, I spent months trying to think of something. And then uh, I thought, well, it's either on the nose or, or no punch at all. And if, if people don't understand anything, then there's no point in doing the video. So that's what we did. But I, I wasn't happy with it. So here's what we got for you tonight. Um, I was working on this until I got in the car just a few minutes ago. Um, I have taken a little bit out, trimmed it up a little bit on the front especially. Um, needed a little little goose there, a little, get, little push. I actually cut more out than I realized I overcut it, put it back. But I've completely rebuilt the ending from the time the thing explodes at the castle. The words are different. doesn't say Democratic Party headquarters anymore. Um, it's an entirely new ending. Uh, 
it's got scratch audio in it. Uh, my voice is really strained in it uh, more than usual. I've got a fun thing to talk about with the voice after we show you this. And unfortunately, the one thing I wasn't able to really get done was I wasn't able to do a really finessed mix and I wasn't able to get the subtitles in on the new part, which is a bit of a problem only because the solution I came up with, which I really, really got to tell you, I really, really, really like it. Um, the solution I came up with um, was to hit like a bunch of words faster than they could be spoken. You'll see it. You'll, you'll get it when you see it. So without subtitles and with a bit of a, uh, of a dead mix, you might miss a couple of the words, but you will definitely get the point. So it doesn't have the subtitles in yet, and we'll, we'll buff up the audio a little bit on the new stuff. But other than that, it's pretty much done. And I am very, 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 very much looking forward to hearing what all of you people have to think about this. Um, you know, this, we had to go out and reshoot the ending. It's not uncommon in movies. I'm very, very happy with it. I think it's much better. And with that, I think um, I will uh, simply um, <clears throat> mute the audio here. And... Uh, We'll run the whole thing. You can tell me what you think. Okay, here we go. This forest was alive once, very beautiful. The air was sweet. The leaves on these trees made an emerald canopy over the entire glen. Songbirds flitted about everywhere. The game was plentiful in all directions. A small clear stream ran down that hill to here, right here. This very hair. I first kissed a girl under that tree yonder when I was 14. Some years later, we were married. And soon God gave us two beautiful small girls. On summer days when they would splash about in a stream here, and their laughter in the sunlight was, to me, like the sounds of silver bells. Well, I, I pray they are safe and well, good prince, back at thy castle. No, brother. They, they are not. They're gone, all gone, never to return, as is this forest. What hath caused this great evil? Not what, good Sir Knight, but rather who? The ones who did this, these are the villains we seek? And to that end, we must now make haste, my friend. Even now, the sun retreats behind yonder hills and we have two leagues yet to travel. Therefore, let us make haste. Through the fire, then. Aye, through the fire. Tis the only way I know.
Thou hast brought me through unpathed waters to these undreamed shores, and yet still thou wilt not tell me of our destination. You and I are past our dancing days. I do not like this place and would not willingly waste my time in it. And how shall I speak of where this path leads, brother? Hell is empty and all the devils are here. How is it that clouds still hang on you? Why hast thou such a February face so full of frost of storm and cloudiness? I'm not bound to please thee with my answers, brother. Vengeance is in my heart, death is in my hand. Blood and revenge are hammered in my head. My drops of tears I'll turn to sparks of fire. I will have revenges on them all, that all the world shall. I will do such things. What they are yet I know not, but they shall be the terrors of this earth. Here once flowed the river Lithia, which had long protected our lands. For these thrice damned murderers doth hate and fear water and will not cross over it. Who, brother? Who? Those who may not be named. Patience. You shall see them soon enough. You vex me greatly, good prince. Well, be vexed then and damned for it in the bargain. Turn thyself around if thou lack the courage or the will to finish what we have yet to begin. Mend your speech a little, lest thou may mar thy fortunes. Pray forgive me, my friend. Oh, full of scorpions is my mind. These sights are daggers in my eyes. There stands the borders of their realm. Surely this is in jest. A gate with no walls. with no walls, hath a gate which is locked. What purpose can this serve? It keeps out the honest, brother. A kingdom with no borders, guards, or sentries, unpatrolled by armed men on horseback is no kingdom, brother. Tis but a wild and savage place that knows not law, nor God, nor reason, and is nothing but an invitation for banditry and cruel deprivation. If this were played upon a stage now, I would condemn it as an improbable fiction. There is movement in the forest ahead. I see them. Pray give them none of your attention, brother. There are darker creatures we must slay this night. What think you is their nature? They are not but woodland snitches, brother. Snitches? A multitude of snitches guards this place which thou namest not. Get thee back to thy impudent whispering, thou bootless Boiled bottom blackguards. 
prickling of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. More denizens of this godforsaken land. Name these flea-bitten, shard-born maggot pies as they come so that I may know what manner of demon issues forth from this horrid and dismal realm. Barking man and a criminally insane, brother. They have no harm in them but themselves. Let them pass. <laughs> and these? More evil constituents of this demonic philosophy. The willfully blind. The fatally open-minded. Maiden mothers deserted by cowardly and selfish men. The gutless and the heartless. The loud and the vulgar. The weak-minded and gullible. Lying rulers and absurd magistrates. Those who worship the primitive. And what be these reeky, fly-bitten deformities? Cowards with the hearts of slaves, gluttons, drunkards, and hedonists. All appetite and no discipline. The victims of these villains yet unseen, and not their servants. Go, get thee hence, thou wayward, yeasty imbeciles. And these pretty things, pray. Weak men and insane women, my friend. These lands are both the home and cause of them. The weak men make the women crazy, and the crazy women make the men weak. The devil damn thee, black thou elf-skinned, cream-faced loon! Where gots thou that goose look? Never mind, thou art forgiven. And what of this churlish, dog-hearted miscreant? Have a care, brother. It is one of the perpetually enraged. May I? <laughs> we are in great haste now, good sir knight. This cold night will turn us all into fools and madmen. Well, my lord Alfonso, I confess, I thought thou was embroidering thy tale, but I see now thou hast not told the tenth part of it. Aye, if this is not hell, then hell can be seen from those towers yonder. It is a formidable fortress. And one that leeches the courage from thy marrow, brother. We will need the full measure of the valor that dwells in thy strong heart ere the sun rises. Then let us to this task that thou hast set for us, good prince. Tis only one stone stacked upon another where the truth of it be known. Enraged beasts blinded by hate, 
madmen and imbeciles, monsters, legions of snitches, all of these things issue from these gloomy walls. I wish my horse had the speed of thy tongue. I pray thee, silence now, good sir knight. So long as yonder castle sleeps, then a few words are the best men. I will ask thee a final time, brother. Name this place. I dare not, brother. I cannot. I will not. Then name thyself, thou great, stinking, fusty dung heap. Brother! I will not sneak in like a common thief under a cloak of stars, good prince. Vitimus Populo, Latin. We divide people? That makes little sense. Thy Latin doth need burnishing, good prince. Dividimus Populum doth mean we divide the people. Yet there above hangs the fiery letter D. That is the riddle we must solve. Tis visible for twenty leagues in all directions. It must have some meaning. What word can such an audacious brand of fire represent? Damaged? Dangerous. Dark. Deadly. Decadent. Decay. Deceitful. Decrepit. Defamatory. Defeatist. Defective. Defensive. Deficient. Deformed. Degenerate. Degrading. Delirious. Deluded. Demented. Demonic. Dependent. Deplorable. Depraved. Depressing. Deranged. Derogatory. This is great sport. Despairing. Despicable. Despondent. Destructive. Detestable. Detrimental. Devastating. Devious. Diabolical. Difficult. Dilapidated. Dim. Dingy. Dire. Dirty. Disaffected. Disagreeable. Disappointed. Disapproving. Disarmed. Disastrous. Discourteous. Discredited. Discriminatory. Disdainful. Disease. Mm, disgraceful. Disgusting. Disheartening. Dishonest. Dishonorable. Disillusioned. Disingenuous. Disinterested. Dislikable. Disloyal. Dismal. Dismissive. Disobedient. Disorganized. Disparaging. Disrupted. Dissatisfied. Disturbed. Divisive. Dogmatic. Domineering. Downhearted. Drab. Drained. Dreadful. Dreary. Droopy. Drowsy. Drunk. Dubious. Dull. Duplicitous. Dwindling. Dysfunctional. Hmm. You win. <laughs> Brother, D is for dungeon, a place where slaves and prisoners are tortured and imprisoned. And we are here to free them, are we not? Do you wish the honor of going first, my friend? No, brother, I think not. After you. pleased with that than I probably should be. I really, 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 really like that. Um, now, I'm not going to go with donkey coconut ED5. Uh, I'm just using uh, adjectives to describe the kind of people that they are. Um, and the thing I realized, uh, well, there's a lot I like about this. Um, and we do get to say D is for dungeon, as Edward Smith points out live. 
but here's the thing I realized. I was, I could not, <laughs> Lady Hawk says you almost ran out of D words. Lady Hawk, I swear, I'm, I'm not joking. I cut 60. I cut 60 of them. Um, so the thing I like about this is the Democratic Party logo is just a D. It's a D in a circle. And I can't get much clearer than that. I, I'm not completely finished with the edit. I may put another shot of the rotating D in there just somewhere. But um, I realized what I want to do is I wanted, I wanted to have this, this machine gun of horrible, horrible words that begin with D so that when people see the D logo in the real world, they think, you know, oh, disgraceful, dishonorable, disgusting, disdainful, disrespectful, disingenuous, and 130 other them, something like that. So uh, I'm very, very happy about that. Uh, Zoe and I read the lines, um, <laughs> uh, they're adjectives. Uh, Sergio, I'm sorry, I can't see the light green. Sergio, uh, they're adjectives, not nouns. I could come up with a bunch of nouns too. Um, so uh, th there it was. And, and so Zoe and I read the lines uh, when we did Virtue Signal yesterday. Yesterday. Um, and we did one take of it and I said, we need to, we need to really, we need to really go faster. Um, and so we read it faster and then got in Premiere Pro and took all the spaces out between the words. And that was faster, but it wasn't quite right. And then, then I started overlapping the words so that, so they start off slow. It's like, what brand of fire, what, what word could be represented by this brand of fire? Um, damaged and then they go alphabetically so we start faster and faster and faster and then and then when we get into high gear the words are overlapping no one can speak that fast really they just write ding ding bing bing bing, bing. it slows down a little bit then pow, 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 pow. i'm very 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 happy with it now there is of course the uh the remaining uh thing about the voice and we've got a solution for this too um, there's a, uh, I, I mean, we always could have had somebody else read it, but I think, I think there's something even better. So there's a, a YouTube channel, a uh, bunch of guys, uh, special effects guys here in LA called the corridor crew. And they break down things. The corridor crew video was the first time I saw how the deep fake actually works. They did a great video on Tom Cruise deep fakes a year or two ago. And I really like them. They're a great channel. They get great numbers. Um, they just talk about how to do special effects. Um, so, uh, are people actually, I've, I've seen like four comments that people want me to put the words in that I cut out. I, I don't, I don't know. I, they, they, I cut the weak ones. Okay. So corridor crew. So, so I was right around the time I had this idea to get this thing fixed. I took a look at a corridor crew thing and we talked last episode, I think, or at least the one before that. Um, we talked about deep fake, about how you can train a computer to put images of somebody on your face. So whatever facial expressions you make, the computer will then take Tom Cruise or Nicole Kidman or whoever and superimposes on the face and it's getting better and better and better. Well, Corridor Crew did a show real recently, a couple weeks ago at the most, where there's a company out there, one, 
that does deep fakes for voices. Now, I have tried voice altering uh, apps. They're not good. Um, and I've tried I've tried voices with the text to speech voices, and they're they're a little better, but they're not great. I've tried getting into Adobe Audition. Now I'm not an audio guy, but I mean I've I've put my voice through 15 different kinds of you know compressors and and try to bring up the low end and add some timber to it. it. Just doesn't it's just not happening. It's just not there. But the corridor crew thing had these guys reading lines, and you just read the line like I'm saying it now, and then it comes back exactly read the line like I'm saying it now, and it's and it is it is Gandalf, or it is, you know, it, it is Joe Pesci. They, they did the same thing with voices that you do with, um, with a video. They, they got a bunch of voice actors in there, and they recorded hours and hours and hours of these guys making all kinds of sounds, all kinds of words, and then the AI goes in, listens for the source track, and then matches the timing and the inflection of this of this source track and puts another voice on top of it. And if you look at the corridor crew thing, you get these guys just, just go goofing, you know, they're just saying stupid stuff, just saying uh, right out of their head, right? I, I think you should sit down back there. And then next thing you know, it's like Gandalf or Sean Connery or somebody is saying it. it's perfect. It's perfect, 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 perfect. Now, uh, they throw the link, throwed, they throw the link down uh, to, um, to the website it's a british company and the british company said hey we're we're just rolling this out slowly we're you know if you want to apply for early access you know just leave your email address and give us some idea about what you want to do so i sent them an email immediately after watching them and i didn't hear back from them and i thought okay um <laughs> but it were palace to us um didn't hear back from them. I thought, okay, well, they're overloaded or whatever. And I wonder if the service is available for um, for money yet. And then about 45 minutes before uh, the show started, I got an email from them saying, hey, don't forget, the, we, here's your link to, to, to try us out. So I, do, I don't know if I'm going to have to re-record it. I probably won't. What, what will probably happen is I will, I will pick a voice and then I will feed it my lines so that the timing doesn't change. And it should just do everything I did, except it's like I hired a real voice actor to do it. Um, and there's also, I haven't checked the software yet, I haven't touched it. I'll, t I'll touch it as soon as I get home, that's for sure. But there's also the ability to do serious uh, tone changes, uh, you know, timber changes on your voice, drop your voice, give yourself an accent. So rather than picking up somebody else's voice, you can you you can modify your own. Like I said, I've tried these voice modifying apps and they just they're just filters. They're just cutting out the highs or the lows or they're garbage. But this thing is 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 AI. And um and so we get to have our cake and eat it too. I get to perform the role because it's my face. Um, but in any event we get to do that. And, and the really good news is uh, my vo voice invokes a young Kevin Costner. Well, thank you. Maybe if, if Kevin Costner's voice is available, I, I may just go with that. I don't know what I'm going to use yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to find something appropriate. But, but, but 
Uh, this stuff works on a subscription basis. I, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what it is, something like 600 pounds a month gets you two hours or three hours. So apparently you have to, um, you record something and it gets processed on there and it's not a, a downloadable app, which would be cool. It's kind of like MetaHumans that way. You got to kind of work through the website. And so you get, you know, for differing plans, you get a certain amount of hours per month or whatever the case may be. So in any, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to test it tonight. Uh, Zoe doesn't need any help. As a matter of fact, I'm going to run Zoe's voice through this uh, AI thing to make him sound less manly and less, uh, and, and, and because it's just, it's just, it's just embarrassing, you know, reading opposite this guy. Um, but it could solve the, the voice problem. And I, and I'm hoping that I can, that I can dial it in so that it's, so that you've still got enough of me to recognize it's me, but you get all the creakiness and the high pitch stuff out and stuff. And when, and, and the thing had so much timber, I mean, you, you listen to these guys, you say like simple sentence, like get away from the TV and it adds so much emotion, get away from the TV. It's really cool. So we'll find out. So there's that. Now, um, before we get to questions, uh, I've got a little uh, little walk to take with you guys. Uh, so, um, here is this plan that I've had for about four or five weeks now, maybe a little bit longer. I didn't go into a lot of details on it. In fact, I went into almost no details on it in uh, Invisible. I hadn't got it completely figured out yet, and nevertheless, uh, it's it's its own subject. So sit back and relax, gang, because this is actually really important. I've, I've I've come up with what I think is a way to produce entertainment and absolutely invert show business as we understand it. Turn it one hundred percent upside down. Absolutely upside down. Um. And so here's how that would work. Now, in order to explain to you how I think my model, my economic model would work, I have to explain to you how Hollywood works for real. So this is how virtually every product out there gets made, whether it's made by MGM or whether it's made by Daily Wire. It's the same, it's the same basic process. So there's a, along comes an idea, a script, intellectual property, an IP. And for the sake of the argument, we're going to say it's going to cost $10 million to make this movie. So the people who want to make the movie have to go out and find somebody to give them $10 million. And the person who's got the $10 million has to look at this very carefully. He has to say to himself, first of all, if I give this guy $10 million, can he finish the film? Is he capable in his team? When I say he, I mean the team. Can they finish the film? If I give him $10 million, do we get a movie out of it? The second question is, if I give him $10 million, do we get a movie that is screenable out of it. Are they going to just come back with garbage? If you could clear that hurdle, then the next question is, okay, if I give him $10 million, will he get distribution? And then the next question is, if he gets distribution, will the distributor spend enough on advertising to get people into the movie theaters to, or, or, or watching on streaming services? You get the idea. I'm going to go with movie theaters, but the revenue stream. And then he has to ask himself, will people come to see it? All of these things have to be cleared. All these bars have to be cleared. And that $10 million barrier is what's been keeping me away from making movies my entire life because I wanted to do this since I was 17. 
independent film financing is it's 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 impossible there was a brief period where if you had you could get foreign distribution for you know show them a couple pictures and you could probably get enough foreign distribution commitments to to fund a really really inexpensive movie up front but that's basically how it goes now it gets it gets better than this so the investors looking at this to make this 10 million dollar movie and then the guy the producer says now i've just made a phone call and for uh, 20 million dollars an additional 20 million dollars we can get tom cruise to be in this movie now the investor has to say to himself is the addition of 20 million dollars worth it in other words i know tom cruise will bring people in Instead of giving them 10, they're saying, I have an option for 30. If I pay the 30, I get Tom Cruise. So, yeah, that seems like it's probably worthwhile. He's a known draw. Let's do that. Let's take this thing up a level where everybody will be at least tempted to see it. So now your $10 million movie costs $30 million. Then the distributor has to spend at least what you spent on the movie in advertising. And there's often, an, again, another entire budget in studio overhead let's just forget that so the advertise the the distributor has to come up with enough advertising money to market this thing now he's got tom cruise so he spends the same amount as the budget this is good rule of thumb so now he spends 30 million dollars on uh, the distributor spends 30 million dollars to advertise the movie so now this 10 million dollar movie is 60 million dollars 10 to make the movie 20 for cruise and 30 for the advertising now the investor has to look at the situation. And here's how the situation works. It turned out you made the movie without having a heart attack. So you, you did the movie. Turns out the movie is screenable. Turns out you got a distribution deal. Turns out that the distributor spent enough money on marketing. Turns out that people have come to see the movie and now you get down to the brass tacks. You're $60 million in the hole, right? You're, you, Somebody is out $60 million to get this on screen. When the revenue starts to come in, the first money goes to the distributor. His $30 million gets, gets immediately paid back. It's, it's, and depending on the star, but in the case of Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise gets, gets to dip right out of the gross revenues, right? So, so as the money comes in, all of it goes to the distributor and the star. And so that means that the film has to make in what 60 50 million 30 to pay back the distributor and 20 to pay uh, to to cover Tom Cruise and so then the investor may start to get a piece of it but once the thing hits its cost the distributor still takes the lion's share of the distributor takes probably 70% of the revenues the star's probably in for 15 20% on the back end right the production company the guys that actually made the movies the writer and director and all these other people and actors, they're in on the revenue stream too. So this $10 million movie has to make $100 million before the investor who put up the, the 10 plus the 20 for Cruise sees a penny. And even after he gets to that point, he's still only dipping a little, you know, little cup into the, into the overall revenue stream. So really for this guy to be comfortable with the money he put into it, you're really looking at $150 million that this $10 million movie has to make. And nobody knows whether people are going to come and see a movie like that. And as the landscape changes, the ability to put large numbers of people in a small place goes down. There's now, there used to be, what, 80 movies released a year. Now there are thousands when you count streaming services, the rival streaming services, YouTube, all of, all of it. So 
there's no longer that kind of concentration of bucks when you would have had 20 years ago with Tom Cruise. Somebody's got to go see some entertainment to go to a movie. Those days are gone. So that's the old model. That's the old model. This is my model. Let's say your first season of a science fiction show is going to cost $10 million. Okay? And you decide what you're going to do is you're going to crowdsource the $10 million. So I'm going to get to the crowdsourcing aspect of it in a minute. But let's just say for the sake of the argument right now, I'm going to get to how crowdsourcing could happen. But for the time being, let's just say you did it. So you raised $10 million through crowdsourcing. I looked at Star Citizen. I thought they'd made $420 million. It's actually $483 million has come into Star Citizen. So if you can put your finger on the desire, money is still out there, despite the fact that the golden age of crowdsourcing is behind us. So, so let's just say you, you go do a $10 million raise and you get the $10 million. And you make the show. Now what? Well, you don't have to market it. You don't have to distribute it you don't need a star, all of those risks go away. And the reason the risks go away is you don't have to pay the $10 million back. It's not an investment. It's a donation. It's a donation. And so all of that back-end stuff, finding a distributor, will people come and see it? How much should we charge? You know, where, will they put enough money in it? It's all, it's, it's gone. All that, that whole thing is gone. We were successful at the raise. Now, all we have to do is do what we would have done in the first place, which is deliver 10 episodes that made the person who put 100 bucks in happy. If you can do that, then you can go around and do it again. And my other data point on this is The Chosen, right? I don't know what the exact numbers are. I'm, I know I'm pretty close to this. So Dallas Jenkins, who I, who I know from the, the days, uh, Dallas Jenkins went out and, and did it like a $10 million raise. He hit the desire. He, he knew who he was talking about. He knew who, who the potential audience and the potential donors were. So he went right at them in a way that would appeal to them, the way Star Citizen does. And so I think he was looking for $10 million for the first season. So he got it. And then, unlike Star Citizen, he had the good sense to stop. He had the money he needed to make his first season. He went out and made the first season, and he delivered to the nines. It's a fantastic show. It's tremendous, tremendous. Now... Once that happens, he says, we'd like to do a second season. Now people are kicking the doors down. He got enough people to get the 10 million the first time because he had enough credibility. I'm gonna come back to that again in a second, but basically he, people took a risk on the first season, they loved it, and then he did the second season raise and I think it was like $35 million. And now people are banging on his door, begging him to give him money, give him money, not invest money, give it to him because they're getting their money's worth out of it. And that is revolutionary. You no longer have to worry about what locked doors do I need to put this content behind so that I can charge people to watch it as they come in the door. You don't have to worry about the revenue stream because there is no revenue stream. There's no revenue stream. And you're not, and you're not $60 million in the hole when, when your film is finished. You're not even $10 million in the hole. You're not in the hole at all. It's just done. So, really now, you can really look at things in a completely, completely different way. 
you don't want to put this thing behind a paywall. You don't want it to be part of a subscription service with Disney Plus or Amazon or Daily Wire or anything. You don't want that. That's, that's, that's 20th century thinking. The 21st century model is you, you find people who believe in you enough to give you the, the means to make what you want to make. You make what you want to make, you get paid for it, you put it out there, and then you want it to be free. You want it on YouTube. You want it to be everywhere. Because if it's good, then the people who then you'll have people who didn't see the first raise at all, but they did see what they delivered. The people who came in the first time are going to come back again. This is what happened with The Chosen. All the people who almost bit on it the first time and decided, oh, I don't know, it's kind of a risk. I've seen church movies. I just don't think I'm going to do it. So, well, those people are on board now because they've seen it. All the people who have never heard anything about the raise at all have been turned on because somebody at the water cooler said, you got to see this, this Chosen show. So, so they're in, right? And then all of this together means that you can you can make whatever projects you want to forever now there are a couple of caveats with this and again i'll come back to the crowdsourcing in a minute when i say there's no revenue stream that's essentially true it's not quite no revenue stream but it's nearly no revenue stream you can um you can uh get the revenue from ads on YouTube, and you can get merchandising revenue. That's important. That could be very important. You might spin out a video game out of it. Who knows, right? If, if it's a hit, people start buying t-shirts, and that could actually be very lucrative. But in terms of the actual product, there is no revenue stream. So that means that when you do the raise, you've got to do enough to make everybody happy. And then here's the thing I realized in the last two weeks. Well, okay. So this isn't an investment. I am trying to raise money to get from here to there, right? And I thought, okay, now's the toughest time. The more successful you are, the easier this gets. And I was having a discussion with somebody who wanted to invest uh, five figures in this. And he essentially said, look, uh, if, there's, if there's profit participation, I can, I can invest five figures in this. If not, I can, I'll just give you four figures. I said, okay, um, I would like that five figures. And so I thought about this, and here's what I realized. I'm going to go with the number that I'm just, this is not the number, all right? I'm just coming up with a number. Somebody puts $100,000 into this first project, right? Here's $100,000, kid, go get everything you need so the crowdsourcing thing will be ready and effective. You're going to need all this sizzle stuff. You're going to need all the stuff you need. Here's hundred grand to go do that. Now, what do I see back for my 100 grand? Well, since there's no revenue stream, there's no percentage, you're not owning part of the company, what you actually get is, we're gonna take your 100 grand and we're gonna build it into the raise. So, if we need $10 million to make this first season episode, we don't raise $10 million. We raise $10,100,000. And then you actually get to say to that investor, and I mean this sincerely, I can't think of a way around it. You say to the investor, what, since there is no magical, never-ending stream, right? You literally can say to the person who's, who's thinking about giving you money, what, what return on investment would you be happy with? Your money will be gone for about a year, maybe less. What ROI would you be, would you be happy with? Let's say for the sake of the argument, you said, well, 20% would be pretty nice. 20% is not bad. In, in seven, eight months a year, you get people to come in on that. 
Okay, so 20% of 100 grand is 20 grand. So when you do your raise, you need to raise $10 million plus $120,000. So $10,120,000, that's the total amount of money you raise. The second that the crowdsourcing closes, the investor gets his money back plus his 20% or 50% or whatever, right? He gets it immediately. It doesn't matter whether the film crashes and burns, right? He gets paid the second that thing closes. If I take the money and go to Mexico, it doesn't matter. He still gets paid. He doesn't have to worry about me finishing it. He doesn't have to worry about me finishing something worthwhile. He doesn't have to worry about me finding marketing, distributing. He doesn't have to worry about advertising. He doesn't have to worry about whether people will come and see it. He doesn't have to worry about any of that stuff. It doesn't matter. The second that the raise is closed, here's your money back and here's your profit. Now, that is pretty interesting. So the big question is simple. In fact, it's, it's foolproof. You can really just dial in return on investment. How much money do you want back? We're going to be reasonable, not going to be suckers, you know, but technically, theoretically, the like, guys, I want five times my money back. Okay, so now we have to raise $10,500,000. You get the point, right? So everything comes down to one thing now. Since he gets his money back before we even start production, the second that raise closes, the first check goes to this guy to pay back the, essentially what's essentially a bridge loan although it's an investment, it can fail. So everything comes down to the magic question now is, can you do, can you successfully raise the money? Now stay with me here because we're gonna shift gears just a tiny little bit. And instead of doing a first season, we're gonna do a pilot. We're gonna do the first episode, okay? I'm not sure, 100% sure yet this is the way to go, but let's, let's keep things simple. Let's say for the sake of the argument, the sake of the argument, that we're going to do a pilot for $1 million. I don't know if that's the right number, maybe five times. I don't know. Right now, let's just say a $1 million for the pilot episode. Okay? So you start a crowdfunding campaign. You got to get to $1 million, and X thousand dollars. Okay? So can you get to that amount? There's a chance that I could get to a $1 million based on my history. I don't, I, I, I don't think, I don't like those odds. So I took a very close look at, not at the actual numbers of crowdsourcing, I, I thought about what is successful. I looked at Star Citizen, I looked at The Chosen. So here's what I came down with. I realized that I think there's three things you need in order to do a successful crowdfunded raise of whatever amount, but now we're talking about $1 million. The first thing you need to get this raise successful is you have to, you have to know what the desire is. Now we're gonna take a little detour into Star Citizen. Star Citizen has raised half a billion dollars, raised $480 million, and they keep raising more every day, and every year they raise more and more and more. They've had the game in development for 10 years. It hasn't been delivered. It will never be delivered. Not, not what Chris Roberts is selling, not what the people thought originally in the original Kickstarter or whatever it was. That, that's never gonna happen. I'm deep into star citizen development. It's just not. It's not going to happen. So if it's not going to happen and it keeps and, it, and 10 years have gone by, how does it that they, that they raise that money? And how is it that people aren't coming after them with pitchforks and torches? And how is it that they keep raising more money? Well, that's because Chris Roberts and Star Citizen put their finger on what the actual desire was. 
The actual desire was not a game. The desire was the ability to fly a spaceship yourself, land it anywhere, get in a rover, and go bounding across strange new worlds and watch alien planets rise while you can look over to the right and see your friend who's actually in Dallas talking to him on the phone. I did all of that in Star Citizen. I had an absolute blast in Star Citizen. 100% blast, okay? But there was no game, really. There were no, there were no NPCs. There was no economy that was really working. Everything. All of the things that they promised that I originally wanted to be there weren't there, and I still got my money's worth. I got my money's worth because I understood, because I wanted the same thing that the other people who put in the $480 million put in. I wanted cool spaceships. I wanted cool spaceships, and I wanted a bunch of them. I was ready to pay real dollars for that, right? And that is why Star Citizen is successful and continues to grow. Even though there are no game mechanics yet, and there won't be, because all the server meshing, all the rest, it's just not, it's not going to happen. Okay? And even if it did, by the time they released it, you got Unreal 5 out there, it's, it's just, forget it, it's not going to happen. But Star Citizen is, in fact, meeting the desire of the people who put up the money. They're meeting the desire. You get to get in a ship, walk out, and fly it. And just to put the icing on the cake here, when you look at the, the people who love and hate Star Citizen, the gamers hate it because there's no game mechanics. And the gamers say things like, it took me 25 minutes to get from where I spawned. I spawned in a hotel room. It took me 25 minutes to get into the ship. I had to get out of bed, had to walk down the hall, get in an elevator, walk down, walk across the town. I had to go down the stairs. I had to wait for a tram. I had to wait. I had to wait for a tram. I had to wait two and a half minutes for a tram to come. Got on the tram, went to the starport, had to find the booth, had to do all this. Then I went down the elevator and it took me to the hangar. It took me 25 minutes to get into the spaceship. And gamers look at that and say, this is absurd. But... The people who are not in it for the gaming, the people who are in it for the sensation, guys like me and the other $480 million like that, it's immersive. And this is the genius of Chris Roberts. It's what he's figured out, is that people are paying for a, a lifestyle simulator. And the lifestyle simulator is, I want to live in the future. I want to fly spaceships. And you can do that. You, you've been able to do that for five, six, seven years in Star Citizen. And I've done it for year and a half, two years, had a blast, absolute blast. So what that tells me is, what that tells me is, the example of Star Citizen is they weren't selling a game, and they're not selling a game, because that game's not going to be delivered, and hasn't been in 10 years. They're selling the desire to fly through space, land on planets, drive around with your friends. So the first thing to make first thing to make the, the crowdsourcing thing successful is you have to figure out what is the actual desire. What is it that you're, you're not, not what are you producing? What are you trying to touch? The Chosen did the exact same thing. The Chosen pitch was real simple. We're all Christians. We've seen what Hollywood does with Christ and the last temptation of Christ and all the rest of it. And, you know, and, and we've seen what, how Christians are portrayed and we've never seen anything that looks good about, about Jesus. And Dallas came along and said, I can tell the story of Jesus and it won't look like a church movie. Because big churches have often funded films that put up a million, two million dollars, make a film. It's a church movie. And we all know what that's like. I'm not trying to shoot it down. God bless him. But Dallas said, it's not gonna be a church movie. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna blow your, gonna blow your eyes out. So 
the first thing is is the desire and star citizen hit the desire and the chosen hit the desire second thing is credibility credibility if you can hit the desire and if you can show them enough of what this thing's going to look like okay you got me I, if you can do this I'm, I'm in now you have to convince them that you've got the credibility so now we're getting specific I know what the desire is. The desire is for science fiction that nobody's ever seen before. The desire is to have something optimistic and, and fun, but very different, very different, unique, real, that goes into that gaping hole where Star Trek and Star Wars used to be, and, and, and Lord of the Rings now, and, and, and Ghostbusters, Doctor Who, all of it. It's all destroyed, and it's not coming back. It is, it is it, my thesis is existing IPs have been destroyed, irrevocably damaged. You cannot get them back. So there's a big hole out there. Can I deliver that? Well, what makes good science fiction? Good science fiction is a, is a product of a, a good writer, a person who knows how to write, and it also has to be a writer who knows how to write and also knows what he's writing about. He has to know enough of the science for it to be science fiction. That's why Discovery and Picard are so ridiculous. You know, oh, sonar in space. Oh, the dilithium crystals exploded because I had a good cry. That's not science. That's, that's not even fiction. It's just garbage. So in order to get good science fiction, you need uh, a guy who can tell a story, a guy who knows astronomy, um, enough engineering, flying mechanisms, that kind of thing. He needs to know a bit about military history. And if you're going to tell an actual story and your entire premise is we're going to take the history of America and move it 250 years in the future, you need to have a guy who knows a little bit about history too. So as far as credibility goes, I've done three podcast series for Daily Wire. I did Apollo 11, what we saw. I did uh, Cold War, what we saw. And I did Americans Forgotten Heroes. All three of those went to number two in Apple Podcasts in all categories worldwide. Number two, worldwide, all categories on Apple Podcasts. That means somebody's telling a, a pretty good story and somebody knows what they're talking about. So there's that. When you're looking at the credibility angle also, you also want to factor in, does this guy have a social, does he have social roots, right? Is this guy just appear out of the sky? Is he gonna to go to Mexico? Well, I've, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, 100 million views, as I pointed out in Invisible. It's impressive sounding, but it's insignificant compared to the audience we can reach, especially as they continue to dial us down every day, right? Every day, you'd watch the right angles get 720, you know, 10,000, 15, 20, 25,000, 4,000. The next day, all of them. So we know we know what's going on here. So, but point is, I have credibility, and I and I not only do I have credibility, I also can call credibility on the phone, right? I am I am friends with Gary Sinise, John Voigt, Adam Baldwin, Kelly Clark Carlson. Uh, um, Mike Rowe, all these guys. Now, got to be careful here because you've got to talk to them. This is how Hollywood works. You bootstrap things. You, you you don't have an offer for these guys, right? You can't very well say, look, here's your money because I don't have the money yet. But it is it is known in Hollywood that the way you bootstrap a project is, especially if you have a personal relationship with these people, and I do, and these are just five of the 30 stars I know, including uh, Clint Eastwood. 
And so basically what you can do, and John Boyd I know very well, and so what you can do is you say to them, listen, I'm trying to get this thing off the ground. Can I associate your name with the project if I make it crystal clear that I do not have a contract, that there's no obligation, and it's clear to you there's no obligation? Can I just say you're interested in this and you'd like to do it if it works out for you? Yeah, I can get that. So now you've got the, the writing background, you've got the science background, you've got the space background, you've got the celebrities and all the credibility they come with, and you've got the is for Dungeon, and you've got all the test renders, science fiction renders, and especially you've got all of the colony-specific renderings that happens between now and, and the rays, right? That's why we need some, some people to come up and give us six figures worth of money so we can get from here to the rays. They get their money back, kaboom. So I think the credibility is there. Now we get to the big part. Now we get to the big part. The ultimate success of a, of a crowdfunding thing, let me rephrase that. Many good ideas that have hit the desire and crossed the credibility hurdle die in crowdfunding because not enough people see them. There's just not enough, there's not enough traffic. There's not enough eyeballs on the site. Now, I know many of you out there are fans of some of the same people I am, and so I'm asking you very nicely to please, I'm not saying keep this quiet, but don't, please don't just go around talking to people about this. Don't, don't botch my opportunity. I'm going to say that there are three pop culture guys out there uh, who are getting real good numbers. One of them gets 100,000 views per episode. This is a, a, a rough average, right? Rough average. One of them gets 100,000 views per video. One of them gets 300,000 views per video. And one of them gets a million views per video. Now, if you were to say to them, hey, could you, you know, could you throw me links to that? Okay. Hey, hey, you might want to check this thing out. It's, it's kind of cool. That's not going to do it. That won't do it. They have to come in as partners, right? They have to be partners. This has to be our thing together. So I would say to these three pop culture guys, look, we are all on the same page here, right? The reason I watch you guys is because I need somebody's shoulder to cry on as we talk about the destruction of Star Trek, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, all of it, right? All these, these three guys, that's all they talk about. So instead of, instead of lamenting the death of Star Wars and lamenting the death of Star Trek, and all, why don't we just make our own? Why don't we just make our own? And we can pay you. You can pay yourself. Remember what I said earlier about putting 100 grand in and, and, and getting the money out of the race? Well, if it takes a million dollars to do the first episode and, and, and these guys... Uh, Pick a number, right? Pick a number. 50 grand. It doesn't matter what the number is. Each one of them wants 50 grand to, to, to be a part of this. Okay. So now, now you get to have your own science fiction thing. You get to be a part of it. You know, you're writers, all three of you guys. You know what you're doing, right? We work on this thing together. And here's 50 grand, 50 grand, 50 grand, right? But you gotta, you gotta own it with me. You gotta own it with me. You gotta, you gotta put your credibility on the line. You gotta keep hitting this thing until we get to this number. That's the, that's the missing ingredient. I don't have that conversation yet. I'm about to have that conversation with one of these guys. But I can't see any reason why they would say no to that. I really honestly cannot see any reason why they'd say no to that. If, if, the, gar if the project were garbage, I, I wouldn't associate myself with garbage. But I think we can show it's not garbage. And, and I'm bringing a bunch of stuff to the table. I'm bringing the means to produce it. I'm bringing celebrities, bringing celebrity endorsements. I, um, 
I'm showing you. I'm not telling you. I'm not asserting that I can deliver good-looking computer graphics. There's the real man. I did this by myself. I'm not an animator. Not a, I'm not a. I'm, I'm just. A, I'm a guy who didn't have anybody else to do it. I had to do it myself. So, uh, can we be citizen producers for a smaller amount pre-crowdsource? Yes, we can. I, I'm sure we can. Absolutely. Um, now, I'm not making a public offering. Let's be crystal clear about that. This is not a public offering, and I'm not talking about, there's no project, there's no money, there's no investment, there's no link, there's no nothing. I am not, I am not soliciting investments on this at all. I am talking to my audience about whether this would work or not in, in this new environment. But I am not making a, an offering of any kind. Let's be crystal clear on that, okay? So, I think you put your finger on the desire and show people animation saying, God, that's absolutely fantastic. I would watch that. It's worth, it's worth 100 bucks. If you can do that, if you can show that you've got the credibility, you bring other people's credibility with you, and then if you can find three or four people who get real numbers, real numbers, get them on board, they bring their credibility with them as well, it becomes a giant group project, we all get more views, we all get to ride on the, on the train, we get to make good stuff, right? We get to make good stuff. We get to make really good stuff. And we don't own, we don't, we don't, we're not beholden to anybody. We, we, we're not, we're not going to go out there and bludgeon people the same way that the left bludgeon people. We're just going to tell great stories because great stories are inherently conservative. Man, man goes out with a gun and saves his wife from, from, you know, from space wolves. Love it. It's not the wife goes out and saves the husband from space wolves. You see, it's not all, it's just that simple. It's just that simple. So that's my, that's my plan. And I realized somewhere around three weeks ago that this thing that I wanted to do my entire life is no longer blocked. It's no longer something standing between me and it, which is finding somebody to put up to $10 million and then they control the distribution. And you may be able to make a deal where you keep some of the IP rights, but they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna run the show. Uh, we run the show here, the elves. Uh, the elves run the show. The elves run the workshop. We don't need Santa. Not that I have anything in Santa. I think Santa's an awesome guy. I'm just saying, if a bunch of highly motivated elves went off and started their own toy store, super. So that's the plan. And, and I don't see any reason why that would work. And the nice thing about doing the show live is I get real-time feedback. So I'd love to know what you guys think about that because I've given it a great deal of thought and I can't think of any reason... I can't think of any blockers, and uh, and really, it's just going to come down to um, it's going to come down to my ability to put that pitch in front of people to get us from here to there, and then it's going to come down to whether or not these guys say yes. And by the way, I've mentioned three guys. We probably guess who they are, but it's it's not just these three guys, right? There's there's a lot of guys out there. You just have to get you got to have you got to have the numbers. Because if somebody's going to put in an investment uh, and we're going to pay them back out of the raise, you've got to be pretty well convinced, and so does that person, that you'll actually make the raise happen. So that is my plan. Here's the conclusion. Every project, this is true for movies as well, Paramount makes a movie or whatever, and they, they, they make a movie and maybe the studio puts up 50% and some guy, you know, from Dubai puts in, you know, a third of it or whatever, 15 companies, whatever, right? Everybody has done this. This is old school, and I think this is one of the few things that we keep from the, from the old school. 
Every film is its own corporation. It's its own project. Even though it might be Paramount or whatever, it is a legal financial entity. Maverick is an LLC, right? And all of the money goes into that LLC, comes out to the LLC, people put money into it, money comes back out, but it's its own individual standalone thing. It's not what it used to be back in the day where this is the property of Paramount Pictures. Nope, it's a little thing. Paramount puts money in, money comes back out, but it's not their property anymore. So we would do the same thing here. Every raise would be a separate self-contained deal and they would all be crowdfunded. And if you really knew what you were doing, you could, you could do any number of programs. And when I say conservative programs, all I mean by that is you could tell the stories that Hollywood either won't tell because it's counter to their, uh, their slavery uh, uh, narrative, or if they do tell it, they'll screw it up, like Lord of the Rings. I listened to uh, Critical Drinker show, and the, they showed, released a trailer today for, for the, uh, the, the new um, Rings of Power thing on Amazon. It's going to completely tank. He's going to lose a billion dollars on it. Nobody's going to watch it because it's not, you know why? Because it's not Lord of the Rings. That's why. Uh, call me a racist all you want to. It's fine. When I see those blonde uh, elves, that's how the elves are supposed to look. Do I look that good? No. Does that make me jealous? No. The people that they cast for the elves in Lord of the Rings were luminously beautiful. Yeah, my wife could be in this thing. She'd glide real and drop a hat. But me, I'm, I'm more likely to be a, a dwarf or a hobbit. At least I'm not an orc, I, get, I think. Um, so, um, so Bag of Sprite asked the question, why not just skip the investor phase and go straight to the crowdfunding? Because Bag of Sprite, I cannot do the work that needs to be done to have a successful crowd for a successful crowdfunded uh, project. I can't do that work by myself. This thing you just saw, I did every single frame of. The only thing that was contributed to that from outside was Zoe's voice, and that's all. I did all of it. It took me seven months, and it took me seven months of six or seven hours a day. Right? I cannot. I cannot do this again. I can't. It's. It, it, it would take a year. Right? It would take a year. Um, I hear so, uh, so you, the credibility, you have a bad history as a business guy, money guy. Your affinity numbers are your strength and the people you bring swearing that they will watch your stuff. 100% agreed, right? The reason we need, the reason we need uh, investors to get from here to there is because the first person that we have to get, the first person, not animators, they're not texture guys, they're nothing. The first person would be uh, a producer, an executive producer. Um, now, this investment thing is an entirely different animal. Now you're starting to get into securities. And I'm not, let's just get that off the table, okay? This is somebody came looking for me. So there. Um, but everything out there is falling apart, right? I don't mean... I don't mean our freedoms. I mean in entertainment. Nothing. Everything is going woke. Everything's dying. There's a it, look. Maverick is a data point, right? It's a data point. And so is so is Lightyear. Lightyear. I mean, how, how do you screw up Toy Story? Well, you screw up Toy Story by having you know gay kisses in it. That's how you screw up Toy Story. 
and not hiring Tim Allen, which I have to believe is because Tim Allen is openly conservative. He's, he is Buzz Lightyear. So that's how you screw up Toy Story, by bringing your politics into it. But there it is, you know, there it is. Uh, uh, G.K. Masterson would like to know what does an executive producer do? This is the great question that has puzzled all the great minds in history. Nobody really can explain it. Executive producer, essentially. When I said we need an executive producer, I actually got that wrong. Uh, we need a production manager and, uh, a, and a business manager. Um, and that is got to be somebody with experience. It's got to be somebody not only experience, but experience in entertainment. Not only experience in entertainment, but experience in CGI entertainment. My best friend in the world, Fritz Bronner, would be great at this. He, he had a studio called Vortex Media Arts back in the late 90s. He did a bunch of computer games. He did uh, Buzz Aldrin's Race in Space. He had 70 employees. He'd be great. But he hasn't been working for quite a long time. He's, he's retired and is a country squire now. So, so yeah, showrunner and stuff. Uh, uh, Johnny Frost says, ask Jeremy. No, I'm not going to do that. That's the last thing I want to do. There's I love the guy. He's one of my best friends. I, I have enjoyed working over there as much as I've enjoyed anything in the world, and I am looking forward to doing it again. But anything that gets anything that is involved with another company it doesn't have to be Daily Wire. I could Netflix or whoever. It becomes their stuff. I'm not going to do it. And this is the reason I'm so excited about this idea. I don't have to. I don't have to do it. Um, so that's what I think is... Uh, is possible. The next step is to have that conversation with a couple of um, with a couple of uh, pop culture guys, and if I can get them sold on it, then I think the raise becomes extremely doable. And if the raise becomes doable, then the then the bridge investor gets there too. Uh, Marisha says, Bill, how do credit creators who don't have your name, reach, credibility, or connections replicate this model for their projects? If they're starting from zero or if all they have is the content itself um well uh, i know what johnny says ask jeremy what an executive producer is or does uh, you know johnny jeremy and i started declaration entertainment in 2008 to make movies and we were partners together until 2011. we spent eight hours together a day every day i know what an executive producer does when i say nobody knows what he does i'm being a little bit uh flip about it because it is a job that is essentially depends on the project and who's hiring and all the rest. I know, I know what needs to get done. Um, to answer your question, uh, Marusha, how do creators uh, who don't have my name, reach credibility or connections replicate this model? They can't. They can't replicate the model. The reason I can do this is because I've been working on this for 45 years. I put 45 years into this. You can't just get that. I mean, I put 45 years into this, into this. Reading all the history, reading all the science fiction, reading the engineering, reading, reading the astronomy, being a pilot, thousand hours of flight time. That makes for good dialogue. I have friends who are SEALs. Those people are gonna be advisors. We're gonna talk about, they're gonna talk about things the way that guys actually talk about. And, and you can't just get there. now. You can't just arrive there, rather. With that said, I could give somebody some advice, and the advice would be start making content because you're going to start out bad and you're going to get better. Um, so uh, go out and make some bad movies and make bad movies that cost 
you know, a couple hundred dollars instead of a couple million dollars. If we can pull this off, and I don't see any reason why we couldn't, then the Taffy 3 story is, on, is available, right? And any other story we want to tell. Anything. I can get this science fiction thing spun up. The very next thing I will do is do a raise for telling the story of, of Taffy 3 as a drama and, and not as a documentary. When I say as a drama, I have a very clear idea. These historic, I'd like to do the story of Azorian with raising that submarine. I'd like to do, I'd like to do the stories they did for America's Forgotten Heroes. I'd like to tell the story of John Paul Jones. I'd like to tell the story of Frank Luke. I'd like to do all these things, right? So if you're going to do those, now you no longer want guys who are pop culture channel guys. You want to get history guys involved. And you want to go to the Navy. And you want to go to veterans. You want to go and, and talk to them. You've got to know got to know what the desire is and you've got to know who's got the desire if you don't do that then you're going to get the wrong people to your to your uh, crowdsourcing and if that happens you're not going to succeed and i'm tired of not succeeding i've been sitting on this uh, this this 10 million dollar or 1 million dollar barricade has been in front of my face for my entire adult life honestly very nearly very nearly half a century now i've been looking at this stuff um just how do i get past this how do I get past it? I don't have to anymore. I go, I'll walk in another direction, which is exactly how this weird business uh, that I'm in now got started. I was working in entertainment. I was a professional editor, and I realized you're never going to do what you want to do. You're never going to make movies. You can be an editor working on somebody else's project. You can be working for 24-year-olds for the rest of your life. Just get used to it. Then I did get used to it. I resigned myself to it, and then 9-11 happened, and then my dad died, and then I went to Arlington, and I wrote about it, and people said that's really good, and so I wrote some more stuff about it, and, and, and here we are. Um, but that aspect of it alone, Marusha, just that, I mean, whatever, credibi whatever credibility I have to get you here listening now and get me to be guests on some of these other things, that's 15 years of work. It's more than that. It's, it's very nearly 20. In December, it'll be 20 years of work. And you can't just snap your fingers and, and have that happen. But at the same time, it'd be nice to, um, you know, be nice to actually get rolling here. So anyway, that's my idea. And uh, I've been waiting, kind of cogitating and collating and all that stuff. And finally, uh, the reason I talked about it now is because, number one, I'm, I'm looking for feedback, obviously. But also, um, explaining it to you guys makes it makes me understand it better hearing it out loud and stuff anyway um there it is uh but uh you can get it uh Quibo, what a cool name but you bill can do two minutes of render show a month then a week then maybe daily um i'm not i'm not 100 sure I, I get that i'll tell you this i don't want to be i don't want to be um I don't want to do. I don't want to do what I just what I did on on this thing. I, I, I just can't. I can't tell you how much work is involved in all that. I mean, it's, it's an insane amount of work. That's why. That's why it took Bill time to get it finished. It's a crazy amount of work, and I shouldn't be doing that. There are people who are better at that than I am. Again, back to the Daily Wire experience, which I had, which I love so much. I love those guys. I love working with them. They're the best. The absolute best. 
when I said this a thousand times, I'll say it a thousand and one times. When I did those episodes, especially Apollo 11, I saw that set the first time I walked in there. I said, oh my God, this is unbelievable. So I wrote to the level of the set. I would do uh, Cold War or America's Forgotten Heroes, and, and the editors would find clips that I didn't even know existed. I'd see footage that I never knew even existed. You got music guys, you got editors, you got all these shows spinning at the same time, you got marketing guys, you got all these guys are great. You got great sound guys, great camera guys. And, and you know, Natasha has often said to me, you, you just want to control everything yourself. We have this conversation quite a bit, hi, honey. I don't. I really, 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 really don't. I really don't. I don't want to control this stuff. I want to get people who are better than I am at doing it. I haven't been able to find people who are better than I am at doing these things. So um, that's that. Oh, the alt channel. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's some progress on that front, too. I uh, talked to my friend Buster O'Connor, who's a graphic designer from back in the days of Florida, and he's done a treatment for Stratosphere Studios. He's, uh, we've got a font. We've got, we've got a color scheme. We've got the, all the graphic elements. We're just going to put the last of it together, and when I have that YouTube banner, up we go. Stratosphere Studios. The, uh, do I have that here? I don't think I have it here, but maybe I do. Hang on. It's a very early first pass of it. Where would it be? Hang on. I'm going to show it to you, since you asked. Um, and Buster will kill me for this because you never want to show unfinished work. This is his first take on it, okay? First take. So... Again, this is the problem when you show people rehearsals. Uh, but with that said, where'd you go, buddy? Here we go. Come on. Uh, this is a. Actually, he did a video test for me too, for like a leader for. I cannot tell you how rough this is, all right? So before we start the reign of criticism and what's wrong with this, realize that this is this is the first pass. I need to find, uh, he did a little animated thing for me. I'm trying to find his graphic. Where'd that go? Here we go. First shot, he says, yeah. Okay. So this is a first shot. And I've given him notes on this, and. There will be more notes to come, but here's here's what uh, here's what I told him I wanted, and um, and he absolutely knew. In fact, before I show it to you, um, Buster's an awesome guy. I knew I met him back at the University of Florida when I went back ten years after I graduated. He's a graphic designer. I've worked with him before. He's brilliant, brilliant guy. He's super laid back, surfer dude, you know. So I said, look, Buster, I'm kind of looking for something. Uh, it's a bit retro, but I don't want it like retro, retro. I I just want to kind of capture that kind of, you know. I want to capture that like early 60s up until about 67. I want to capture that Cape Kennedy, Cape Canaveral kind of thing. And Buster said, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I got you, man. You, you want you want you want Cocoa Beach. You want tiki clubs, but you want to walk it back. You don't want to you want to go down that that corridor in a dead end there. I said, Dude, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly right. Cocoa Beach Tiki Club. Where are the astronauts hanging? So again, it'll just kill me for this. But there you go. Uh, where did it go? I just dragged it. Son of a gun. Sorry. I'll do it again. Stay there. All right. So this is the first take. 
for the uh, logo for the new um, website, uh, for the new channel, and a website too, actually, Stratosphere Studios. Now, that's pretty cool. Uh, it's obviously going to have to be horizontal layout, so the, uh, the thing will go sideways. I said, I love it. I love the color. The clouds are a little more prominent than I thought they should be. He said, Bill, this is, I just threw this together just to test the font. Sorry, man. Uh, the, um, I'd like the contrail, that white line, I'd like it to spread a little. I want a thin contrail. I don't want a fat contrail. I want a thin, old-fashioned, um, you know, turbojet uh, contrail but if it could if it could get a little feathery as it goes by I said yeah and then uh, yeah so a couple things so he said all right great working on it um, and then what we'll do is we will uh, once we get the, that element into place we'll take that to um, somebody and we'll do a little particle system on the contrail so that uh, as it as it goes you'll see you know you see it spread just a little bit be very fast this is the very quick first pass on the um, on like a moving look. I actually didn't know I was going to get this. I think it's cool. Um, I think it's very cool. Now, you take that video that you just saw and put an animated contrail across there. You're in business. Need a Pan Am Orion in there somewhere too. See now, that's what we're talking about. Uh, tomes, that's what we're talking about. And when I gave him the notes on the first thing that you saw, I said, "Hey, can we, can we slightly, slightly diffuse the the, the contrail? Have it fade like it's, so we know which direction it's going, right? Not much, just just a little bit. And then can we have something at the head? I'm not, I'll let you worry about it. I don't know if it's a triangle. I don't know if it's a dot. I don't know if it's a little miniature airplane. But I'd like to have something." gold and and maybe maybe orange like just a couple of pixels just a couple of pixels like this is the this is the jet it's just just so far away this is, this is the little tiny bit of flame coming out of the back get a little orange and blue going get the little gator thing going we're, 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 we're golden um so i'm working on that too uh and uh when we get all this stuff together then um we're gonna have to uh you know get that new channel up and then we'll get a second website up and I cannot stress this strongly enough. Probably should have led with this. I'm going to keep doing everything I'm doing now, and I'm getting back to the moving back to America. This thing, getting this thing born, was killing me. But I'll have one uh, next week. So, yeah. So we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. Stretch for Lounge isn't going away. None of the other shows are going away. The members who are already here, that's what they're paying for, and they're going to keep getting that. So we're not going to let anybody down. Um, so there you go. Uh, yeah, that, that boy knows what he's doing, uh, that, that Buster O'Connor. Speaking of members, maybe we should um, dip into the uh, the untappable well that I will never, ever be able to get to. But again, with a little more organization, um, we should be able to, uh, you know, um, get me my schedule more organized uh, and and have you know have uh, somebody doing the works so that I don't have to do so I don't have to render every frame is what well, I forget about 24,000 frames or something I can't remember how many frames it was a lot of frames all right so let's have a look um, 
and we'll do what we can. And I know I've been missing him. I've talked about this before. I wasn't kidding. I'm, I'm going to have to do two shows. I'm going to have to do a... And you know what? That's actually that's actually pretty good. Um, I'll do I'll do a political show, and I'll do a cultural show, and that'll be for the new channel content. Everybody, it's free. No one's not going to lock it out or anything. But that's probably what it will work out to be. All right, member forum, the Writers Club. That's going very well, and thank you for starting that. Uh, you know who you are. Uh, Tried to get in, but I didn't pass the test, so maybe I'll answer. Uh, for launch questions and more. And I, I've, I've missed, and I missed Facebook questions. I just, I just, uh, for launch questions. Let's do them in order, kids. Um, GK Masterson. Hey, GK. Now that you got the big animation project done, are you going to start working to set up the framework for the colonies? Do you need any help with that? There are a lot of us who would love to help work on that by writing stories, novellas, uh, comics, or by helping with archiving, setting up a wiki for the projects, and trying to take as much of that load off your shoulders so you can focus on what you want. We just need to know what to do and when. Smiley face. Excited. Edited during stream, how much does that rig to film and map your expressions from your phone's camera to the MetaHumans thing cost? And can it be done on the fly or would it have to be re-recorded and re-rendered? Like, could it be used to obscure somebody's identity during a live stream type interview? Let me answer the second one first. There are a number of apps out there that will scan your face, that just literally take your phone and you, you know, you just do this or you do that and, and it, and it, and I had one of those two, three years ago. And it makes a thoroughly terrifying 3D model of your face. But uh, that is all that MetaHumans needs. Now, as it turned out, I have an existing uh, character head. It was the last of the Boyd renders that I did back in 2019 or 20 in Daz Studio. Got the face exactly the way I wanted it, and then everything else happened. So. But I do have the model, so I've got the mesh, and I'm and I'm going to take that mesh that was in Daz Studio. I got it really the way I wanted it. it looked great in iRay. I'm going to put that into um, MetaHumans, and then um, we'll see how it goes. So to answer the MetaHuman question, uh, ask me again in a week or two. But yes, if you if you just go if your iPhone or or whatever you know. Uh, Android user, whatever, just just go for just look for scape, face scan apps. The the iPhone is a special case, however. Um, the reason that and I had to get the this is a 10. I was perfectly happy with the eight I had or whatever. I had to get the 10. I'll tell you why. Um, starting with the iPhone 10 and higher, it has the ability to unlock the phone by looking at it. You don't have to enter keyboard, and that applies for all the apps when you log on to a website or whatever you just look at the phone the phone looks at you and it, and it and it does it now that facial recognition stuff is actually on on this side they're very hard to see but there are like a couple little lenses in there one of them is infrared and so the iPhone in order for the iPhone technology to work they had to make sure that it couldn't be um, you couldn't spoof it by holding up a picture of somebody and get you take somebody's phone you hold up a picture of them and you get access to their phone no it had to, it had to be 3d 
And it had to be good enough to, to see past eyeglasses, it had to see past mustaches, changing your hairstyle, all that stuff. Anyway, they pulled it off, but since that phone has a very sensitive, the iPhone 10 and higher, has a very sensitive 3D look at your face, all of the developers and Unreal and all the rest said, hey man, that's putting out pretty, pretty decent data. So when you do motion capture and do uh, live facial motion capture into um, Unreal, you, you need one of these. You need an iPhone 10 or higher. Get a used one. They're reasonably priced now that they're on the 13 or something. I've heard that the higher models, the newer models, have slightly better resolution, but I, I don't think that's going to see the difference. Um, now, when you do that, to answer your question, and I'm, and I'm trying to move the mail here for a change, if you wanted to animate yourself on the cheap which means pretty well. What you would have to do is this. You'd have to go, just go to the App Store, find face scanning app. Usually it'll be something you, you either hold it or you put it on a tripod and it'll say, turn all the way to the left, turn all the way to the right, look up, look down. And it's reading your topography and what you get out of it is uh, your face. And it's taking a photograph of your face as well as determining the geometry of your face. So it's your skin on your face and it's terrifying. But it's your face. Uh, you could then take that mesh into metahumans. I haven't done this yet. I'm about to, but I haven't done it yet. And metahumans will read that mesh and then it will construct a metahuman to, ma to match that mesh. Then you go into metahuman creator, which I'm pretty sure is available to anybody. Do you have, I, I don't think, I don't even think you need to be, uh, let me just check that out. I don't even think you need to have Unreal Engine installed. I think you just go to MetaHuman Creator. Let me have a look here. So all the MetaHumans, uh, the ones that you saw of me in the spacesuit and all that stuff, uh, they're MetaHumans. It's, it's a big breakthrough that they had with Unreal a year ago. Uh, no, that's not it. Yeah, so you have to sign in. It's no big deal. Just sign up on Epic Games or, or whatever. You can sign in with Google. MetaHumans is a web-based application. You, you can start out with any one of, they used to have, I don't know, 20 presets. Now they've got like 35, something like that. Um, and, uh, and you can just go in there and play with it. You can, you, can, um, you can morph the face. You can find characters that have like you want really big eyes, pick three faces that have big eyes and it'll morph the face towards the eyes and you can do that individually for the nose, lips, all those stuff. Not a huge fan of that. I don't think there's enough variation. The metahumans don't look, they don't have enough variety in them and Star Citizen had the same exact system and I was a little disappointed with that. It'd be nice if you could get, like, you know, really get in there and, and change it. But with that said, so then you, you, you scan your face with one app, put it into metahumans, you come out with the metahuman and then you can use the phone that you use to scan your face to live, take your, your actual face motion, camera looks at your face motion, runs it into Unreal, moves the bones on the model that you've created, and there you are talking in real time live. You can also do that with a motion capture suit, So that, and, and I'm going to be experimenting with this now, especially if we can, you know, get this thing moving along. Uh, and then it's entirely possible for me to be doing a completely virtual character in real time. And really, 
I mean, this, I'm serious about this when I think about it. The only thing you need to spend money on is the phone. If you've got an iPhone already, 10 or above, you're, you're, you don't have to spend a penny. Unreal is free. MetaHumans is free. The apps are probably free, and if not, they're probably five bucks, something like that. So, um, so yeah, you can jump right in there. Now, now as to your other question, uh, GK, um, about volunteering and helping and stuff, let me tell you one of the lessons I've learned about myself the hard way. Uh, organization is not my strong suit, which is probably the understatement of the century. But there's a certain fluidity needed to put things together that don't look like they fit together, and that fluidity kind of spills out on the floor and makes a mess everywhere. It's a, it's a very kind offer, and I'm, I'm sure we'll do something like it, but we won't do anything like it until we have somebody who can run it without dropping the ball. Because if we start doing that now, I'm just going to drop it, and, and, and everybody's going to be angry, and rightfully so. So we're going to wait till we have somebody to do that. And I've also learned over time that that volunteer work is is wonderful, but if if the person's going to be doing the work, you got to pay them something. It's not part of it is the obligation to pay people for their time, and another important part of it is is that uh, it's very difficult to. Um, to predict volunteers. If you're paying somebody, you have some leverage, right? If, if you assign a volunteer a task and for some reason they can't get there, can't very well, you know, bitch them out. You certainly can't fire them. So it's a wonderful idea. And I don't want to sound ungrateful. I'm extraordinarily grateful. I think the whole key to this whole thing working is open sourcing everything, everything. We talked about that before, the writing and all that stuff. I'd love to have everybody who wants to participate in it, participate in it. But we're going to wait till we have the internal structure here before we go ahead and, and, and take advantage of that uh, wonderful offer. So thanks for that. Moving on to our second question. Uh, uh, Henry Lumley, uh, Bill, did you see the explosion during the Booster 7 test? No, I heard about it. Here's a link. I'm watching it in real time. If you've already seen it, you can play along at home. Let's see how bad this was. I heard it was bad. Elon Musk is, see, Elon's, been a, Elon's a success because Elon Musk says, we had a real bad day today. Not like, oh, minor malfunction under control. It's like, oh, that damn thing exploded. Yeah, that's, that's not good. However, I'll tell you one thing about the explosion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you the most important thing about the explosion, Henry, is the vehicle is still there. That's a, I would call that a major um, uh, cookie. I've seen a lot of rockets explode, um, and everybody's seen those movies. If you have any interest in the space program at all, you can just go and look at, you know, half an hour of things exploding. Every single rocket I have ever seen, ever, every single rocket prior to this one, which I just saw for the first time, when it explodes, it's gone. This thing suffered a major explosion, a big shockwave came out of it, and uh, it's still standing there. That may not seem like a big deal, it's a huge deal to me, anyway, if I'm sitting on top of that thing. You never know what you, you don't know what you don't know, and uh, the way you make perfect, um, perfectly safe vehicles is by making imperfectly safe vehicles first, and then finding out what went wrong. 
And so if the thing can fail to that degree and not incinerate people or, or even cook off the escape tower, no, there wasn't one on there, but nevertheless, that's impressive. Elon Musk has lost a year of his valuable life to the FAA, to the government, has just been saying, well, we want, our, we want environmental impact statements, and, I'm, and, I, and Jeff Bezos can go straight to hell. I, I never particularly liked him, but when I found out he was suing Musk to stop him because he'd done such a good job and, and Blue Origin hadn't, that's when I just said, this man is no friend of mine or, uh, or of humanity either. So he spent um, a lot, he spent a year, wasted a year, while the government does what the government does, tie him up, slow him down. So anyway, um, Road Rider. Uh, Elon Musk may or may not be on the right, he's neither, I think, but might be correct with his latest take on President Donald Trump and DeSantis for that matter, Musk. I don't hate the man, but it's time for Trump to hang up his hat and sail into the sunset. Dems should also call off the attack. Don't make it so that Trump's only way to survive is to regain the presidency. My point is, Elon Musk is so smart in so many ways, from people to product to perception. How is it that he might be completely wrong or right about Trump? Well, it's a very good, interesting question. And uh, the first thing I would say is, as I've said several times on the show, uh, there's a huge difference between millionaires and billionaires. Huge difference, psychologically. I know for a certain fact that, um, what's his name? Branson, uh, indication of, of how successful Virgin Galactic has been that I, took me a second to remember his name. But to give you an idea, to answer your question, uh, first of all, about, about Trump, uh, Branson, flew uh, that Virgin Galactic flight on a vehicle that I don't think was safe. And I, and I know people who don't think that vehicle was safe and that they'd run so slowly that it looked like it was never going to go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, hey, we're going to launch. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Any reason why not? No. Not connected to anything. It's not connected to the fact that uh, Bezos said he's going to launch and you're going to launch a week ahead of him. No, no it's got nothing to do with it. Okay, so the, so so part of the billionaire thing is this gigantic personal pissing contest, all the time. Um, so the, the the question is not about Musk. The, the question is Musk's question. It's not about Musk. It's about the question. Uh, should should Trump? Is it time for Trump to retire, or is it time for him to come storming back? Uh, you know, I'm being careful here, not because I want to—I don't want to lose people or hurt anybody's feelings. I'm—I'm I'm being careful here because I have conflicted feelings about this. Uh, I personally would really, really, really like to see him wallop Joe Biden or whoever, whatever plaster cast of whoever they're going to put up in in his place. I want to see that real badly after what happened in 2020. Um, and and I—I I want that really, really badly. With that said. Uh, when I listen to DeSantis, and when I listen to DeSantis call out reporters, and when I look at DeSantis and, and all of it, I, I think I get a sense that he's a, a, he's a much more, there's no question about this, he's a much more controlled 
conservative, and he's the real deal. He fights back. He fights back hard. You don't, you don't, you know, Disney runs this thing. We're trying to get everything as gay as we can. Okay, this thing you've had for 70 years, see ya. If you want to be a political agency, now we're playing politics. I like, um, I like, uh, I like DeSantis um, an awful lot. And I like his background, too. Um, you know, Donald Trump is his own worst enemy, and, and I don't think there's any doubt about the fact that if, he, if, he, if somebody had... Donald Trump needs Twitter, no question, because how else is he going to talk to the American people when the mainstream media's got him all locked down? So he definitely needs Twitter, but what Donald Trump needed was he needed, he needed somebody... He, he, he needed somebody to hold the phone, Right? And, you know, when they had broadcast TV, right, when they were broadcasting TV live and, and everything has to be G-rated back in the days when I was growing up. Couldn't say any bad words on TV if you did. It was the end of the world. So anytime they would have anything that was half live, they always had a three-second delay. And they had a three-second delay because there was a guy sitting there with his finger on the button. And he was waiting for somebody to say the F-bomb, at which point he would hit that button and it would black it out so it would not go out over the air. Um, uh... Uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, so that if Trump had had that, if Trump had had somebody running his Twitter account and put a, let's count to a thousand on this one, he'd be president now. I mean, I I I, I maintain the evidence is overwhelming that Joe Biden didn't win the election. I just think it's overwhelming. Uh, you got to go looking for it. But whether he did or not, uh, Biden's 29%, 28%, I haven't checked it in the last 10 minutes, it's falling that fast. Uh, so I'd like to see that. Um, but the, the, look, there's, a, there's a, a, a problem here. If, look, if, it, if, it's, if it's Trump versus uh, any Democrat, I'm, I'm Trump all the way. Uh, but if there's somebody who can do what he's doing and do it better, and not, I know DeSantis is not popular with the left, but he doesn't drive people nuts the way that Donald Trump drives people nuts. I wouldn't mind seeing the country get in a little bit more together rather than further and further and further and further apart. Um, uh, GK says it should run as Trump Paul for 24, then Paul DeSantis for 2832, then DeSantis, then a good one for 3640. Uh, I think Trump DeSantis would be really solid. If I had to predict, that's what I would say. I would say that. And knowing the Donald as intimately as I do, I wouldn't be terribly shocked if. If it was Trump and DeSantis, Trump wins, gets that moment, gets sworn in again, and then essentially just says, "You know what? I'm, it's all yours, Ron. Uh, I don't really need to. I don't really need to do this again." He, um, you know, the the job of president, everybody says the president fixed the economy. To some degree, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, the president can cancel, you know, oil drilling leases, and now you have $7 gas. That's the president. 
But in terms of tuning the economy, the president can pass a spending bill, put a couple trillion extra dollars into the system, which means inflation. Yes, he's responsible for that too. But ultimately, really, when you get right down to it, the president is a is a cheerleader. He's he's he in a in a perfect world would be a persuader. I think that's why Reagan to me was the best president I've ever seen. Um, uh, and, the, and the reason that I like Reagan so much was not just that he was so good at it, you know, the great communicator, not just that he was so good at it, but the thing I liked about Reagan was from all the accounts I've read, Reagan knew who the boss was, right? I remember Obama said something or something in some speech and who was it? Was it Peggy? It said it was writing for Reagan, Peggy Noonan said, the, the idea that, that Ron Reagan would say, the American people need to do this is just anathema to him. You never would have entered his head to make a statement. Like, well, here's what the American people need to do. He, he would listen to what they want to do and try and take them there. That's, that's ultimately it. So when you really get down to it, the, the president is, a, is a, a cheerleader. He's a persuader. And every election I've had in my adult life, at least in my political life, how far back does that go? Probably goes back to, to Reagan. Carter was here. Oh, Reagan, and Bush one was kind of and Clinton. Bush. Obama, Trump. The current guy. I'd kind of like to see that pendulum start swinging back towards the middle again. To be perfectly honest with you, in fact, if I could find somebody who was, uh, you know, if if. if you really wanted to get away with this, you know, you really wanted to win big, you'd have to find a, a, a genuine rock rib conservative who looked like Warren Beatty in the 70s. That would do it for the liberals. As long as he, as long as he could speak a little French, you know, and, and, uh, and, and look elegant, look good in a suit, and said witty things during a thing, and didn't embarrass them publicly, it doesn't matter to them what the policies are. The policies they've got now are garbage. They just don't like being embarrassed, you see. Uh, so, um, the entire driving force of the progressive left is oikophobia, fear of the familiar. And when, and when Trump acts like the big, loud, brassy American, it makes them cringe. Uh, it doesn't make me cringe, but I think there's a better way to do it. That's probably about as far into it I can, as I can probably get. I'd be happy to see uh, any of them. Now, a lot of people have pointed out consistently and constantly and the right to do so. Musk isn't a conservative. No, he's not. I, I, he never said he was and I certainly don't think he is. But he's not a progressive any, anymore anyway. And he is moving fast towards kind of a libertarian kind of thing. You know, that's really I think where he said it. Uh, Musk isn't infallible and, and, and again you kind of have to apply the Albert Einstein test to this, right? I mean, Musk is exceedingly good. He's the most valuable player on the planet. I don't think there's really any question about that, honestly. I really think it's just a, 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 a non-question. The fact that he's the richest guy in the world is not why he's the most valuable player. He's the most... He's not the most valuable player because he's the richest guy in the world. He got to be the richest guy in the world because he's the most valuable player. He is extraordinary. And... And there's a lot of things about him that I, I would change if I could design him, but I don't. So I'm back to where I was before. If there's seven out of ten things about this guy that I like, uh, 
and he's running against a guy who has two out of ten things that I like, I'm going to take the seven out of ten guy. And, it, and people say, well, what about the other three things? It's like, I don't like them either. What do you want me to do? I can't, you know, lesser of two evils is the lesser of two evils. Um, would be interesting to see what Musk could do, though, to the government if he were to run for president. It would be really nice if he could do to the government what the government's been doing to him for the last couple of years. That would be fun to watch. I will say this about Musk. Um, he is... Uh, He's not only a smart guy, he's he's a cool guy. And that's extremely unusual. You know, it's really, un you can't think, of, Bezos tries to be cool, Bezos is not cool. And Zuckerberg is anti-cool, he's the, he's the polar opposite of cool. And all, but, but, but there's something about Musk, he's, he's got his finger on it. The whole red sports car, David Bowie thing, I mean, that's, that's just cool. Naming your recovery ship, of course I still love you, that's cool. That's coming from him, so. Uh, he's um, he certainly got he certainly got something going for him, but he doesn't have to be perfect for me. I'll take the good stuff and I'll criticize the bad stuff. And there is no bad stuff whatsoever, Mr. Musk. Uh, nothing I can see, certainly. Uh, all right, here Marisha's written. Good Lord. Okay, I can't answer this on the. It's uh, I'll read it, but I can't read it now. It's four or five major paragraphs here. Um, sorry about that, but I will look at it uh, when, I'm, when I'm done, while I'm uploading this when we're finished. Uh, third time, Bob Neef. Um, I often wonder what I would do if I lived in, say, North Korea. If I spoke out, I'd be dead or in some awful prison. When would you, quote, keep your head down, quote, and when would you resist, unquote? You know, Bob, that brings up uh, an interesting uh, point. And this is actually a much larger point. Let me, let me just take this in a different direction for a second. I'll kind of circle back to what, um, what you're getting at here. So you look at the problems in the inner cities, right? They're unlivable. They're just dysfunctional, horrible things. And conservatives look at this and say, there's nothing stopping these people from bootstrapping themselves up. And when I say these people, I'm talking about people who are living in the inner cities. I'm not talking about black people. If I wanted to say black people, I would say black people. I'm talking about people who are stuck in these murder pits that the Democrats create. There's no economic opportunities. There's nothing. Your choice is to be a drug dealer or a drug user. That's how it, that's how it breaks out. And conservatives look at this, and, and I've heard this many times, like, why don't you just bootstrap yourself up? Apply for a grant. Go do this. You know, get an online course. Move out of... Baltimore, go to something like this. And and there's nobody keeping you there and there's nobody keeping you down. And they're absolutely right about that. There's no question. It's 100% correct. But that mindset doesn't come with downtown Baltimore. It's true. It's absolutely true. Any single person in there could get themselves out of poverty very easily, and we could write down the steps, and, and, and they're there. And it's foolproof. It really is. But you can't... That's not how they're built. It's not how they grew up. It's not, it's not what they learned. And so you really have a hard time applying that. And this is even different than the, than the whole just, just say no to drugs thing. Because the drug addiction or alcohol addiction, alcohol addiction, 
alcoholism, that's a, that's a, that's a chemical biological urge, right? What, what's in inner cities and, 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 and you know, rural, rural poor as well, it's, it's, there's no chemical addiction to this miserable life that they're leading. There's a psychological addiction to it. They don't see their way around it. They don't see a way out of it, and they don't. And so they can't, right? That's what I'm saying. They can't. I, I just The reason I brought up the just say no thing is that I remember in my days in Narcotics Anonymous where I was the only person in the entire system who did not have a drug problem. I had an addiction problem, but not a drug problem. And I remember after, after having spent two years with addicts, and I loved them so much. They were just some of the best people I ever met. I loved them all. Um, that... I realized that just say no thing is like, you know, it's it has occurred to John and Rob, my two roommates, my two Narcotics Anonymous roommates. It has occurred to them that just say no thing. It's not like this is news to them, right? It's not like they don't know. It's that they can't. If they could, they wouldn't be addicts. And so that kind of thing gets to be very circular and, and, and kind of tone deaf. Yes. You should stop doing drugs. Yes, there are treatment. Yes, but the reason that you can say just say no is because you can just say no. They can't. You can just say no. You don't understand it because you don't suffer from it. Same thing with depression, really. You know, depression is uh, is like people look at this and they go, "Why? What, what, I'm, you know, I'm just feeling blue. What, what, well, you're depressed. I'm actually cl clinically depressed. What, 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 what are you depressed about? I'm not depressed about anything." Got everything going for you. You should cheer up. Here's a here's a bunch of reasons why you should be happy. Well, it doesn't work like that. And if you haven't been clinically depressed, then you don't. Then your good intentions are missing the point. Churchill, who was clinically depressed, and Lincoln too, by the way, very, very clinically depressed. Lady Hawks, why can't you just be happy? Yeah, you know what? That never occurred to me. Thanks, Uncle Jim. I it never, I should just be happy, I should stop being depressed, I should stop doing drugs. Why didn't that ever occur to me before? But Churchill and Lincoln, both horrible depression that they had to deal with. And Churchill described it as the black dog. It's perfect. It's perfect. That's exactly what it was. He wasn't depressed all the time, because he wouldn't have been Churchill otherwise. But he had his moments, and he would say, it's like a black dog just walked into the room, and the black dog is in the room now. Eventually, the black dog will leave, but he's here now, and I don't get to kick him out. He leaves when he wants to leave. That's what it's like. My best description of it, I remember when I was describing it, trying to explain it, trying to get some help for it, was that when you're in the middle of it, it's just it's like being in a hurricane. It's just, it's just nothing but turmoil, and it will never end. You can't remember anything before it. You can't remember anything after it. Over time... Uh, I've come to realize that there is a way out on the other end, uh, but there's nothing you can do to rush it. I've described it to people as it's like, it's like there are a couple times when, you know, a couple times a year now, medication's amazing, uh, and I can feel it. It's like it's like standing on the on the Pacific shore here and looking out, and and it's like a storm coming in. And I can say, uh, uh, storm's coming in. What are you going to do about it? There's nothing I can do about it. Really? No. I'm going to have three bad days. I'm going to have three bad days. But if you've gotten 
at least that far, you realize, okay, so I'm going to have three bad days. Day four will be better. Day five will be fine. And then you just realize, don't do anything stupid. Don't, don't buy a car. Don't make any phone calls to somebody you like. You know, just take a powder. Uh, so, um, uh, I'm sorry, it's my eyesight, not the thing. Inox, Inox Shackelford. Oh. Bill, you missed the point on just say no. It was telling not to start drugs. You can just get, you can't get addicted to something you have never had. Yes, you're right about that. That's 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 absolutely true. That's who it was mostly aimed at. I didn't mean to be coming down on, on Nancy, but that's that's really true. But but that was also, I know because I saw it. I've, I've seen it. Just why are you doing that? Because I can't help myself. Stop. If I could stop, wouldn't be here. It's something wrong. Something's broken. And when you've got that broken thing, the obvious things to do are something you can't do because if you could, you would. Anyway, so what does this have to do with North Korea? And at what point would you resist? Uh, this whole song and dance, this whole dog and pony show I just went through was just to get us to the place to say this. Um, we are free people who grew up in a free country. And so our tolerance for this kind of thing, uh, Bob, is very low. Although I have to say the one thing that the pandemic has shown me is that it's much, much higher than I thought it would be in large numbers of people. But basically, totalitarianism would be an imposition on us because we'd have something to compare it to. This is where I was going with the whole inner city thing and all that other stuff. If you are if you are born and raised in Korea, at what point at what point do you resist? You never resist. Never. At what point do the Koreans start fighting for their freedom? Never. They never fight for their freedom. They don't know what it is. They, it, it's, it's completely alien to them. They don't have any idea. They've got nothing to compare it to. Um, so the question becomes, really, I guess, at what point of totalitarianism do Americans respond to that? And by the way, let me just tell you a story that, um, that Bert Rutan told me. Uh, and this is what socialism will do for you. So Bert went to visit... Um, Soviet Union, I want to say in the 80s. It was well before it fell. And he was a, a, already a well-known aeronautic designer, and he went over there, and, and they drank some vodka with Russian um, aeronautic guys, and everybody had a great time, and everybody realized we're all on the same team, we're all getting paid to kill each other, but nevertheless, hey, 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 ha, ha, ha. So they got to be friends with some of these guys. And Bert was talking to, like, a major, major, major designer for one of the uh, top Soviet design bureaus. I don't know if it was Tupolev or you know, McCoyans, but, but it was a big, big guy. And he knew about Bert, and Bert knew him, and they got along fine, and he, and he finally got some time with the guy alone and said, hey, you know, what, what, tell, me, tell me about your dreams. What is it, you know, what are, tell me about your dream. What's your dream in life? And, and the, the interpreter kind of balked, and, and he told him what Bert had said verbatim, and then the guy says, I, I don't understand. Are you saying you think this is a dream, or, or you, no, 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 no? What is your dream? What is it that you dream of doing? And the guy had never heard. There, he had no dream. He not only had no dream. The idea of having a dream was beyond his horizon. It was over the horizons, past the singularity. 
what you want to do, what do you, what do you want to do with your life? Oh, I'm, I'm going to continue to work at this design. You know, what do you want to do if you had all these? It, it never came up because you can't because it's not there. It's not his fault. It's just nothing there. So the much tougher question is what? How much would we put up with here? One of the advantages of, of federalism, uh, and and one of the main reasons why the left has been on a 120-year campaign to destroy the power of the states, is because your first response, your your least uh, irre irrevocable and violent response, is you can vote with your feet. I could leave California. Any time, well, not any time. It'd take me four or five months to be able to schedule a moving ban because all of them are occupied. But if things got if things got bad enough, I could move from Florida. I could go someplace. There's a lot freer, a lot freer. Just having spent a little time in Idaho, Idaho is a completely different air. Texas is much freer. Florida, I have to tell you, Florida is putting Texas really coming up fast. You know, giving them a real race. So I could go someplace freer. If they decided they were going to ban guns in California, then I would move someplace where they didn't. But next time it'll be someplace far away from large bodies of water because it was a tragedy losing all of those weapons in that, that boating accident. So the first thing is, like, you know, you can you can run. Uh, and most people in Korea, if they knew what they were missing, would run. People in now. Those are Koreans. Look at East Germans. East Germans know what freedom is because they used to be Germans. And so that's why so many of them were trying to get over that wall and getting killed doing it, right? And, and same for Cubans. They at least saw television. They know what it was like. And, and, and their parents and their grandparents were relatively free. But Korea just is just, you know, locked in. So, so if you have a chance to flee oppression, the smart thing to do is flee. But if you're talking about fighting for your country now, now we're really on the on the guts of it. Um, totalitarianism. This is what I've gotten from the last three years watching what happened in this country. Watching people get murdered in their prison cell in front of the whole world, murdered in their prison cell, Epstein didn't commit suicide. Everybody knows it. And they know it. And we know it. They know we know it. And we know that they know we know it. We just haven't done anything about it. He had dirt on the ruling class. He was killed. And he's not the only one. Um, you know, Arkansas is a, is a, is a fast-growing cause of death in this country. But really what it comes down to is you've got, it, it's a game of chicken. It really is. It's a game of chicken, and the game of chicken is who's gonna who's gonna blink first. And the reason that Hitler and Stalin and all the rest of them became dictators was not because they were smarter or even tougher; they were more ruthless. If you're willing to kill people, then you are going to have a major advantage when it comes to tyranny over people who are not willing to kill people. What, um, 
we there's a I forget what it's called, but there's a, a thought experiment like the prisoner's dilemma, and I don't know what the name of it is, but basically it's like if you've got a crowded freeway and you got a guy in a in a in a ninety thousand dollar Mercedes and a guy in a nine hundred dollar uh, escort, and they're both merging for the same lane and they both want to get in the same lane, who's going to blink first? The argument is the guy in the Mercedes is going to blink. He's the one that's going to back off because his car is worth a lot more. The guy, if you put another dent on the escort, it's already beat to hell. Right, so the guy who's got the the guy who's got the most to lose in the Mercedes is the one who's going to back down because the other person has very little to lose, and when they know they've got little to lose, then they really got you. So, what are you going to do about mask mandates? You know, are you going to not wear the mask? Okay, I'm talking about a couple of years ago now. All right, are you willing to get arrested over that? Maybe you are. Okay, that's cool too. But are you willing to shoot at somebody if they're coming to, if the police arrive outside your door and, and say, hey, you, you didn't wear the mask and repeatedly, so we're coming to arrest you, take you away for a year. Would you shoot that guy? I don't think I would. This is, this is the dynamic that makes the IRS possible. This is why there is an IRS. This is why we pay, at least in California, half the money I make. Half. Goes to somebody else. We all know, everybody knows, that if we all stopped paying our taxes, the whole thing would fall apart. And I mean in a good way. All of this evil would simply fall apart. We just, if just everybody decided we're not paying taxes anymore. And we all know that this is certainly doable, right? I mean, they can't arrest 300 million people. So why don't we do it? Why, why, do we, why do we not not pay our taxes? Because we've got something to lose. And frankly, it's because nobody wants to go first, right? If, the, if, if it turned out you woke up tomorrow and you found out that 20% of the country wasn't paying their taxes to protest the spending and stuff, maybe you would join them because you figure well, they're not going to arrest 30 million of us. But if you're the first guy, it's a different story. It's the same thing with gun confiscation. They can't take all the guns away from people in this country, and that's why we're not in much, much, much worse shape than we are. But, um, but they can take yours away, and that's where the problem is. Now, Marisha just said something really interesting because this is really the heart of it. I'm, she said, I'm frankly surprised we don't see more right-winger shooting. You'd think some desperate soul with nothing to lose would have at least tried. Well, I'm not surprised. Conservatives obey the law, and they're wired to obey the law. And they also know right from wrong, and they know that just shooting up innocent people has got nothing to do with solving our problems. So, you know, to answer your question, it's all very... Um, it's why the, 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 the frog in the, in, the, in the pot that's warmed, that's why it's a perfect analogy, right? It's the, it's the perfect analogy. I heard this when I was very young. I remember thinking, got it. As long as the increments are small enough, there's never enough mass outrage to act. If the things that were going on right now were going on 20 years ago, 
they never the people would have rioted. They just rioted probably even ten years ago. It would have just simply couldn't have happened. But they just keep turning up, turning up, turning up, turning up. This is how it works. So when you've got law-abiding people, you've got a real problem there. I'm ultimately um, very uh, optimistic. And I'm optimistic because we, what, I, what did I call it? We live in a, we, we live in a, in a tie-dyed tyranny, right? The people who are oppressing us are not Nazis and they're not KGB. They don't have guns. They're not threatening guns at us. They're threatening us with hurting our feelings. They're threatening us with having our friends or neighbors think we're bad people. They're threatening us with losing our jobs. But nobody's pointing a gun at our heads to make us do this. This, this freedom of speech that's been restricted on YouTube, is, nobody's threatening me. The government's not censoring me. <coughs> it's structured that way. It's all, it's all social proof. We look at the last two years. We could have simply said no. We're not wearing the damn mask. The whole country could have said, we're not wearing the mask, no. But we did. Part of that was because in the beginning we didn't know and seemed like the safe bet. Okay, but pretty clear it wasn't. But none of us did anything about it because none of us wanted to be the first guy to go to jail over it. And, uh, and, and therein lies the problem. <clears throat> the reason I'm optimistic is because because it's a tie-dye tyranny, because these people don't have guns. If they had guns, it'd be easy. If they had guns, it would have been over very quickly, and they would have lost. They started shooting at us, we'd shoot back, and we'd be over in, in, in a day or two. But they're smarter than that, and they're also more cowardly than that. So they do it slowly. Uh, one of my, every now and then, I'll turn a phrase I like very much. Uh, and one of them was, they're not coming for your guns. They're not that stupid to come and take your guns by force. What they're going to do is they're going to is they're going to set things up so that your children will turn in your guns voluntarily. That's how it was going to work. You're never going to have to defend your home by by big black vans or helicopters, people kicking your door down to take your guns. They're going to work on your kids or your grandkids will get there eventually to the point where they will eventually simply turn your guns in because that's what they've been told the right thing to do. And this comes back full circle then to this idea of the inner city thing. You cannot get out, you can't bootstrap yourself out of a situation if you don't know what bootstrapping is. Uh, Marisha says the left are willing to kamikaze for their cause. The left works full time. The left is like rust never sleeps, grass never stops growing, but they're cowards. And and when they are confronted, they back down, not just physically. I, I got the measure of Antifa watching people stand up to Antifa. You see one of these badasses with his black leather this and that balled up on the sidewalk crying his eyes out because he's about to get arrested. That's all you need to know about Antifa. But when these school boards get called out in the daylight, they run away. When, when any of them are confronted about anything, they run away. They simply run away. All we had to do, all we had to do, was just say, "Stop it." We didn't have to fight them. Didn't have to shoot nothing. Nothing. We said, "Say that's it. Stop it." And and all across the board, not only politically but pop culturally, and not just in America, all around the world, they are in full retreat. They've given it everything they've got. They've got. They've they've taken. They've taken 
best punch. They've used up all their, uh, used up all the money on the race card, and the oppression card, and all of that. They they launched a sneak. I believe they launched a sneak attack in in the first Tuesday of November in 2020, and and you get one sneak attack per war. Uh, and 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 they've had the run of the table, and they're failing worse every day. Everywhere you look, everywhere you look, they're fa they're failing worse every day. Quibo says, "I hope they uh, they don't." Uh, Quibo too. I don't want to get you confused with the original Quibo. Um, says, "I hope they don't ban homeschooling." See, I don't think they're going to go that far because if they were to ban homeschooling, that means they would have to send people to your house to take your children away every day. I don't think they're going to go that far. Um, they're 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 losing, and the reason they're losing is because is because they're they're wrong. My friend Jim, who did so much to change my way about thinking about things, so many things, uh, in the last couple months. We're talking about the difference between biology and and computers. I'm not going to get into that again because it's time for me to go. Um, but Jim said something just knocked me. He said a lot of things just knocked me back. He said everything in nature is true. I thought, wow, that's you don't have to explain that. That's absolutely right. Everything in nature is true. There are no lies in nature. If you walk out into a forest, everything you see there is true. What the bees are doing is true. The trees. The wolves killing the little cute fawns. It's all true. There's nobody lying out there. There's nobody there's nobody being deceitful. There's no there's no deceit because there's no free will. Bees are doing what the bees are built to do, the wolves are doing what the wolves are built to do, the the deer are doing what they're built to do. Everything in nature is true. I thought, oh, that's absolutely right. It's the human programmability that allows us to do things that are not true. And all of this stuff, um, which is highlighted by the, the whole trans movement, although it's that's just the tip of the pyramid. The trans movement is the is the is the high point sticking out of the water on a deeper issue, and the deeper issue is not trans rights or gay rights. The deeper issue is does reality conform to what I want it to be, yes or no? And this is what they believe. Um, this is what they believe. They believe that you can change people. And I was, as far as I was concerned, the jury was out about that one. Uh, and now it's not. You can't change people. You can't. I knew this four, five, six years ago. That's when I really started to realize now they're not going to succeed. You know what? You know what that was? And I got to go. It's a little dried out. I think I got all the questions. I'll, I'll double check before I go. But uh, the, the first thing that really convinced me, now they're not going to win this. So when I heard four or five years ago, they did a survey of these so, these purple hair social justice warrior chicks, and they said, um, "Are you attracted to the men around you?" I should say the males. I'm not a biologist. Are you attracted to the guys around you who are down with the movement? I said, "No, no. I'm glad they're on our team, but no, I'm not attracted to them." Not attracted to these beta soy guys who are talking about smashing the patriarchy, you know? Nope. That's when I realized, nah, it's it's just going to get ugly, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be over. Uh, that's biology. You can't you can't beat it out of people. 
everything in nature is true and what they're trying to do is to is to convince us that the truth of nature biological truth fundamental most obvious single physical biological trait available is they're trying to tell you that this theory of theirs is true and it's not true and we didn't shoot it down at the beginning because we're good people because we're nice people i don't have any desire to go knock on some trans guy's door and tell him you, you can't do this or, or you're full of crap i'm not going to do that but if he insists that i go along with this yes i'm a woman because i said so then then no that's where we get off that's where we part ways and they've taken advantage as usual of our kindness everything the left has succeeded in they've done because they took advantage of our kindness and we've got to stop being so damn nice about this got to understand that this is not a disagreement they understand that we play by the rules and that's why they constantly manipulate the rules and and they play by they they they, they make you shut up by calling you a racist they know you're not a racist but they also know it works and so all you have to do to defeat this tyranny is just not care it's really just that simple i just just don't care it's it, it, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. It's simple. You don't care. So, I learned the hard way that it uh, doesn't matter what I actually think. Left is going to accuse me of certain things. They're going to do it not only without evidence, they're going to do it in the absence of evidence. They're going to invent evidence. They're going to do whatever they have to. And I paid the emotional price for that, which wasn't easy. And then I began to realize, you know what? This is what they're going to do, whether it's true or not. And I am tired of trying to defend myself against things that I didn't do by people I don't care about. I don't care. I don't care. And the whole country's getting to that point now. All of us are just like, you know what? I don't care. I guess I just must be a racist, homophobic, transphobic, patriarch-loving, white supremacist, douchebag because I'd like to have $3 gas again and, and I'm tired of prices going up 40% a year. Call me whatever you want to. They're going to lose. They're losing. They're, they're, in, they're, in, they're, they're being massacred and politics is downstream of culture. I'm watching the culture. They're, they're, it's a bloodbath out there. Is there another page to that? Because I know I have, I have a, a huge... I have a huge question debt, but uh, I don't think so. All right. Um, well, my lovely wife is waiting at home, and uh, whenever I finish these shows, I usually have about uh, well, about another hour of work to do here. Um, uh, yeah, I have to. Uh, what's the word? Convert the video. I have to upload it and set up all these other things. You should get some emails done and all the rest of stuff. What's upstream of culture? Great question, Taps556. What's upstream of culture? Culture is upstream of politics. What's upstream of culture? Imagination. Imagination. The thoughts you have become manifested in the real world if you're ready to do the work needed to take a dream and turn it into reality and so what you imagine if you got this defective gene where you're just not going to give up then eventually you will 
have that vision out there and that vision will affect the pop culture the pop culture will affect the politics in fact that's my entire theory that's why i'm doing this well said eric you unlock this door with the key of imagination it's that simple right i want to have my i want to have the, the i want to have the world that i want to live in and I need the resources to share that with a lot of people because I think a lot of people would find it interesting and I think that virtually everybody would want to live in that world too. And not in this unfun, miserable, constantly whining, crying, unhappy, vicious, envious, horrible nightmare that these people are trying to, um, to force us into, period. And I think that'll do it for this edition of the Stress Free Lounge, made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com. Thank you for the kind words about the uh, animation thing. It needs a little polish on it. I'll get it done over the weekend. A um, couple shots and remix and subtitles. But I was very, very, very happy with that solution, which just popped into my head. I remember thinking, oh, maybe there's some, let me see if there's any, like, a couple of, maybe five or ten, like, you know, um, nasty words that begin with D. So I, I said, adjectives that begin with D. <laughs> and here's a list of 300 of them. And I thought, man, 95 out of 100 of these things really fit them. That's why they chose it. I also did the reverse. I said, what could I do if, I, if, if it was an R symbol, you know? Romantic, righteous, right. Uh, rebellious um, and in the case of Scooby-Doo Ransom uh, alright there we go um, uh, what is your second YouTube stress at the stress lunch? I don't know what I'm going to do we'll, we'll sort it out but this thing's kind of out the door so uh, as you can see there is some, some glacial build time progress uh, towards moving on with all this other stuff Rot Row loves Scooby-Doo I loved him. I just thought he was hilarious. His laugh. <laughs> I can't do it. Anybody who can has my undying respect. All right. Uh, thanks Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, fun. Good to get that out there. And, um, yeah, I need, uh, I need to um, loosen this baby up. And since I can't do that, I suppose I'll have to do it digitally. I suppose I'll just have to have a button that I can push, and the machine will take care of it for me. Yes. Seriously, though. Naughty. All right, enough of that nonsense. Uh, that'll do it, and you guys be careful out there. Thanks again for the members for making this possible. I'll just start smoking. Great advice. We'll see you next time.